Good morning, River City family. And if you're joining for the very first time, we are so happy that you're here with us. If you are here for the first time, drop a comment below and let us know where you're tuning in from. We'd love to give you a proper hello. We loved seeing you guys share during Easter and we wanna keep that going on a more regular basis, kind of like a virtual meet and greet. So if you'd like to participate, please send Bill a video from 20 to 25 seconds. And that email is gonna be bill at rivercitysmyrna.com. We'd love to see you guys have fun and be creative with this. Just let us know how you're doing and say hi to your RCC family. And then we'll choose four to six families per week. If you'd like to interact in today's service, take a photo or a video of your family churching and tag us at River City ATL or use the hashtag RCC Church Everywhere. Another great way to stay connected is to read our weekly church email. You'll get that through Shannon. So if you want to email her at Shannon at RiverCitySmyrna.com, she'll get you in our weekly email. And if you'd like to receive prayer, there's a few ways that you can do that today. You can call our prayer line and someone from our church team will contact you after the service. You can also send an email to prayer at RiverCitySmyrna.com and then we'll get in touch with you throughout the week. If you have a need, be it financial or otherwise, please contact needs at rivercitysmyrna.com. We would love to support you. And if you feel impressed to give, thank you so much. Please go to our homepage, rivercitysmyrna.com slash giving and give to the area that you feel called. Now, all of the information that you've heard today is going to be in your service guide. So just reference your announcement page for any details that you might have missed. And if you haven't downloaded it yet, go to our Facebook page for River City Church or our prayer wall and download your guide there. Now. Each week we read a psalm from the lectionary. It helps us to partner with churches all over the globe reading the same exact passages. And if you don't know, the lectionary is a collection of scripture that helps us go over the Bible in the course of three years. Today's psalm is Psalm 16 and it's page 13 on your guide. And it says, Preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed, and I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who give me counsel. In the night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. He is my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Heavenly Father, we just invite you in this morning into this church and into the homes of people watching. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that is attentive and caring and that you care about the smallest details of our life, Lord. Thank you that you lead us on paths of righteousness and protect us in ways that we can't even comprehend. Lord, we pray that you are with us all this morning and that we receive the word that you intend for us to hear. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning, River City. Um, we are going to start prayers of the people. So I want to invite you in your homes to pray with me for the needs of our community. Um, this morning, we're going to be reading out of John chapter 20, which is one of our passages for the day. It says, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So God, we acknowledge today that many of us are in our homes, locked away in fear of a pandemic, of a virus, of things happening that are outside of our control. And God, we know that you are standing in our midst, saying, peace be with us after this Easter season. And so for the Universal Church, its members and its mission, God, we thank you for bringing us together in this season. We thank you for the joint Good Friday service with Square Church. We're thankful, God, that we're able to share resources like we never have. God, we're praying for the lawsuits that churches are filing against state governments regarding the banning of large gatherings. God, we pray that you would bring us all to a realization that loving our neighbors also means keeping distance in the season to protect our vulnerable communities. God, we're praying for the persecuted church, for those attacks that are continuing despite the conditions. God, that you would bring comfort and may the mission continue throughout your world. To the church of Jesus, peace be with you. For our world and all those in it, God, we're praying for all of those who are sick with the coronavirus. God, that you would bring people to wholeness and healing. God, for the storms that swept across our region in the southeast, killing numerous people. God, that you would settle our anxiety in these times of unrest. God, for the leaders around the world who are making decisions regarding people's finances, God, regarding people's jobs. And we pray that you would give them wisdom to do what is best for all. For the 20 million Americans that have lost their jobs, God, that we might find security in you and not in the money that we have because of the work. To those in God's world, peace be with you. We're praying for the welfare of Smyrna in Cobb County. God, we thank you for our essential service workers, for the hospitals, the hospital, hospitality, the transportation. God, so many employees are putting their lives on the line, God, to work despite the conditions. And we're thankful for their sacrifices and pray that you would bless them. For the healthcare workers, God, that you would protect their health. For the unemployed and small business owners, God, that you would be the provider. God, that we would not find our provision in stimulus money, but in you. God, that you would give us bravery and all of those in our community who are suffering, the bravery to speak out, and might we be compelled to take action. To our city in which we dwell, peace be with you. We pray for the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it. For anyone that's suffering from the virus in our church, we pray that you would bring healing. God, for the isolated and lonely, God, may we be creative and intentional with our neighbors, not just in this church, but God, our actual neighbors in the physical spaces in which we live, God, that you would compel us to love and spend time, whether it's through phone calls or meals or letters of encouragement. God, we thank you for the health, for our family, for community, that your spirit is guiding us despite the conditions. God, we thank you for the Amos's new baby girl, God, we're thankful for new life, and we rejoice with them as they have her at home. May we be a testament to this world that you are good despite these present trials. To my neighbors and to my friends, 
peace be with you. Good morning, River City Church. I hope you guys are having a great Sunday so far. Really glad to be back together with you this morning, post-Easter, still alive, still together. As we start today, I wanted to share with you a passage of Scripture that's not my main text today, but it, it's a passage that I believe is for our entire body right now. I think it's for really any believer walking in this season, and it comes from the book of Colossians. And so I'm going to read you Colossians three twelve through 17. It says this, River City Church and friends, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." And the reason I wanted to open with this was because I had this moment this week when I was reading this text that the phrase, let this word dwell richly within you. And I had this picture that I believe is for our body. And so I actually challenged my Practicing the Way group to locate their actual physical Bible in this season, almost as if God was inviting us into a deeper time of his text with community and each other. But I had them go and grab their actual Bibles and bring their Bibles. And I felt that it was significant, and I feel like it's significant for you today, even if you need to go get your Bible and bring it back or have your kids get their Bibles and bring it back. There's a way that this says dwell that makes you think about the text differently than we usually do. Typically, when you were raised, you thought of reading the word and having the word hidden in your heart or the word being active in your heart. But it says dwell and uses the word richly. And so I would like to paint a picture for you before we even start today. If you knew that you were walking into a forest and in that forest, there were lions and lambs dwelling, you would enter that forest with your eyes wide open, because those are living things, right? It'd be much different if you walked into a museum with lions and lambs also there, but you would know that those are dead things. Those aren't alive anymore. So you would walk in comfortably and you wouldn't think anything of it. This word that we get to chew on each week, that we get to share from each week, that we get to hide in our heart each week is dwelling within us. Something that is dwelling is alive. And so when the words that we're talking about, that we meditate upon together, that we read together, even if it's the lectionary, what other churches are reading together, those words have the ability to dwell within us, to live. That's different than just being there. It's not a relic. It's not a historical fact. It's a living thing that dwells in us. So as we preach from these texts today, as you hear the word of the gospel through the lens of John and one of the gospels today, let this word dwell within you differently than a relic would dwell in a museum. It's alive, right? It's a living thing. But today we're going to jump back into that gospel we were in last week, the gospel 
of John. And it's the week after Easter. And typically, like if you're at all familiar with how church attendance goes, the week after Easter is actually coined by most people as low week because it's historically the lowest attended Easter or week of the year. I think this is probably a record high on that, but I like that we're not here because I feel like from Easter to now, God's got people's attentions. God's drawing people into his hearts. God's noticing the rooms we've built around ourselves and in inviting himself into those spaces and asking if he can be a part. And I feel like people that are here this week, it's not that you missed Easter. Jesus is still here. In fact, this text would almost be a better text to preach on Easter because it deals with what happens after you've heard that Jesus was risen. It deals with people who have heard this but aren't believing yet. And so as I read you this text today, I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. We have a ton of Bibles here at the church. If you don't have one and you can't get to a store, let us clean one and mail it to you. I'll do that this week. Open up your Bibles to John 20, verses 19 through 31. Again, John has painted a few pictures in this gospel. He's painted a picture of our of God through Jesus as the good shepherd, as the living water, as the bread of life. He's painted the picture of Jesus as the vine. And all of these pictures paint and help us to see in our minds an image of God that is, is healthy and alive. But his goal in this entire gospel is clearly that we might believe in Jesus and in the name of Jesus and that we might place our faith in him. So this whole book is about an invitation to people to see this God represented through the life of Jesus is real. He really, really did this and it's now being offered to you. That's the goal of this gospel. So as we read, keep that in mind. And this is John 20, 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, that day that we talked about last week where Jesus was resurrected, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger and the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that 
Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may live, have life in his name. Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask that you help us to discern rightly what your Spirit is saying to us through this text this morning. That we would not impose upon this text what we demand it say, but that we would listen to the movement of your Spirit drawing us into understanding drawing us into a living interaction where your presence is showing us how to be drawn to belief in the life of God through Jesus. Help us to see clearly, God, what it is that you have for us. Because you approach people differently, depending on where they are, depending on where we are in our lives. You have such a way to step into each of our lives that shows each of us who you are in a way that we can say, I have seen the Lord. I have seen him. And we thank you that you do this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is one passage with two scenes. One is with Thomas and one is without. The day, the first day, Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you, and they believe. And then eight days later, Thomas is there Jesus shows up again and has an interaction with him. The same thing basically happens on both occasions. Jesus shows up similarly, expresses his true identity similarly. Similarly, he somehow makes his way through walls, doors, and anything else to get to them. We don't really know how, and he's in this scene. But the scene has definitely shifted from last week's passage from the place of proof being an empty tomb to now the place of proof being a filled room, filled with disciples. So what specifically is happening in this room? This is a room full of afraid people, some possibly dwelling in shame in this room. This is a room where people have gone when they have seen that what they thought might happen, even though they heard from a woman, he has risen, what they thought might happen is probably not gonna happen. This is a room full of people wondering, Things are about to not be good for us. This is a room full of people who are afraid, who are living in fear. The room could very well just have been fear, shame, resentment. I imagine for Peter, man, I have failed my master. I have failed him. I imagine this room was enticing because it was very, very real. What if this room would have continued? What if the scene doesn't happen where Jesus shows up? What does this room become? Does this room become a way to be alive in the world? Does this room for the disciples become the way that they interact with? They'll always be the people that used to follow that Jesus. You know, like those are the people that followed that guy. They're distant. Are these the people who have decided to begin to wear the clothing of shame and fear and navigate life and just do the best they can? Because Jesus evidently didn't do what he said he was going to do. He didn't come through on his part. And so now we have to navigate this world in a way that's without him. Is this room a room full of people that would have just figured out how to do life with a memory of Jesus, but just the best they could? What does this room look like today for us? In what ways are we in rooms that need Jesus to enter that we've decided to let become a part of how we just live and breathe and have our being. Jesus shows up in this room 
and we don't know how. He's just all of a sudden there. And he's all of a sudden there speaking directly to the thing that has them in the room. Peace be with you. Be not afraid, right? I almost hear the conversations happening in Genesis. Why, why are you hiding? Like what, what's he speaking to? Why is he there? He has a way of finding where we hide and letting that be where he interacts with us. This is important for us to note that Jesus wouldn't just wait for them. There's not a scene here. There's not a like missing part between the first text from last week and now where Jesus has sent them a letter and talked about what would be great for them to do if he could just interact with them. If you guys could just get over yourselves, get out of that room, he doesn't do that. He doesn't even say, if you could unlock the door, I'm probably coming at about this time. He just shows up in the middle of where they're at showing us that we don't get to decide when he comes. We just get to decide if he interacts with us or not. We could do this. They didn't do that. They're excited to see him. Even Thomas, which we're going to talk about in a minute, is in a way invested in this conversation. I need you to show me. None of them have gotten to this spot where they're like, I don't desire to hear what you have to say. This is not leading to life. And so there's a shift of settings. It's a room full of people who are in shame. Without explanation, Jesus shows up among them, speaking directly to where they're at. And I imagine that this probably made them think of what he said in John 14, 27. And you can pull this up for me right here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This, so this is John 14, one through six. We're just gonna stay with it. This will come in a second. This part, right? Like these are words that, put a pen in that in just a minute. These are words that they heard Jesus speak when he was still being sought after to be destroyed. Now being reminded of them post-resurrection when he has destroyed death. Now they're starting to think. He was speaking of that then and now he's speaking of it now. And they're being invited into it. But he's showing them that neither a door or a wall or a grave can keep him from reaching to his disciples. There's a book that we're reading in our Practicing the Way um, group. It seems like we read a book every week. And I know that I've been throwing a lot of resources at you. But this book is called An Invitation to a Journey. And specifically this past week, it struck a chord within the depths of me and, and helped me into a space with Jesus that I maybe wouldn't have been willing to go. And it talks about, as a Christian, we are continually being formed into the image of Christ. In a lot of ways, the spiritual disciplines create that space. In a lot of ways, just the world around us helps mold us into that. But the space created, we're always being formed into the image of Christ. And there's two movements that typically happen in those conversations. One, confrontation. Jesus will meet us in the places that we're least formed into the image of Christ, not to show up in an angry fashion, but to show up to say, I'm here knocking, I would like to help. 
for us, when this happens to these spaces least formed, it can feel like confrontation because he's putting his finger on something that the book would actually describe as our brokenness, not as a thing we've added as our brokenness that can be taken away, but a brokenness that we've accepted as who we are. And so when Jesus begins to move into these rooms in our lives where we're most broken, most least like him and unformed by him, it feels aggressive. And a lot of times our response to him, his spirit, his community, his word is a wall. You're not coming in. You're not coming into that. And then the second move is consecration. And in that movement, that's the ability for us to sense and hear a knocking. Because in some text, Jesus does show up this way, knocking kindly. The consecration portion is the portion where we say, I hear you knocking and I'm now inviting you into that. So there's confrontation, these places that are not formed like him. The exact places he would spend time forming us like him right? It's one thing to allow him into the places already formed that feel natural and easy. It's a whole nother thing when he starts to move his way into our lives, into the places that we're most afraid of, the rooms that we don't want anybody in. One for me, and I don't love sharing this because of just its nature, is intimacy. And I shared in our group um, this past week that I've been watching the show Chosen, which I'm not sure if it's a cheesy Christian show. I don't know if they like duped me, got me. It's good for me. And about four shows in, I was watching with my family and I was holding back tears every episode because uh, it's, it's painting a picture of Jesus and his disciples. And about the fourth episode, I decided I'm gonna actually watch one of these without my family. I'm gonna hide. That felt like a good idea. I'll just hide. I played the video and minutes within the video, I'm full throttle weeping, weeping from the deepest part of me, so much so that I had to go down to the floor. I ended up in the kitchen. It was the kind of thing that if my kids would have walked out, they would have probably called the police because it was uncomfortable to watch. Then I moved to the back porch and I started to cry outside. But God was beginning to speak to a place in me that I do not love going to, the place of intimacy the place where connection happens, the place where he reminds me that you actually love me so much and you have, and I want back into that space. He began to work in this place and I did this for four episodes. I was like the guy on the couch, like I'm not gonna cry in front of people. Jesus's invitations were beautiful and the crying was freeing and the conversation I had with Sarah the next day was freeing. I actually cried more conversation to share about Jesus touching me in those spaces. The next day at our group was even more, but I had to say yes as he began to knock. And he began to knock and he began to come in, but that's what he does. He meets us in those rooms, right? And those rooms that we've created are exactly what he shows up to speak into. Peace be with you, right? I don't want you in this room for the rest of your life. I don't want you learning how to navigate life as if Jesus hasn't resurrected and he's not with you. For these guys and for us, the the very presence of Jesus is peace. He's not there to just say, just think in three months when this season's over, you'll be back at work and you'll be back on the ball field and you'll have peace. He's not saying that. He's saying my presence with you now is the peace and I'm with you, I'm with you. 
And he's saying that to you, all of you, in your, in your living rooms, wherever you're coming from, I am with you. And if I have my finger on something, it's because I'm coming to heal it. If it feels confrontational to you, submit to it. Allow his healing presence, the healing physician into it. But I think it's interesting because Thomas is an example of someone in this story specifically that he begins to work one-on-one with. And he really gets a bad name, right? Because he just wasn't there the week before. He, he's, we, we treat him like there's nobody we know in our life that doubts and Thomas is this example and don't do that, right? Or Jesus will show up to you. That's not what happened. He just wasn't there. He's actually asking the same questions that Mary was asking at the tomb. I need to see Jesus. And she actually went and told disciples and they didn't believe. I saw Jesus. Well, we're still gonna go hide in this room because we didn't see him. He's just asking the same things, right? One of the commentaries I read this week talked about how the word for doubt and for faith actually come from the same root word. That this place that he is in, that he needs to see, is not a bad place for Jesus. In fact, I want to read you this quote. Notice that when Jesus, a week later, appeared to his disciples, this time including Thomas, Jesus did not express impatience with his disciples' skepticism and his need for something more. Instead, Jesus told Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. In other words, you need something more than a secondhand encounter with me. You want to see for yourself. I do not condemn you. Touch, see, believe. In the Gospel of John, seeing is a huge narrative. There's 20 occasions where it's mentioned. People need to see Jesus. People need to experience. They need to taste and see that he is good. They need to see that he is the one. And he does that in ways for each individual that makes it real for them. He walks into a room full of disciples. He spends time with one the second time he comes. Here's what you need. I don't want you to feel shame about this. I want to show you that I am he. I am the risen one. In what way are you hiding? In what way are you allowing these things to keep me from you? If you feel a check that you don't want him to come, allow him to speak into that. Say, God, why am I feeling this and sensing this? Jesus handled Thomas beautifully. He hears him. He doesn't provide hurdles. He didn't despise his doubt and he didn't leave him there. Thank God that in his doubt, his goal was not just to say, I see that you're doubting and that's fine. Amen. For us that doubt, for our friends that doubt, for a generation that doubts, our hope would be that Jesus would become so real that people would believe in the life that he's offering here, that they would believe and not live in a room isolated for the rest of their lives, wondering if Jesus is real and really for them. Jesus is not okay with that. He's okay with approaching someone to say, I know that you're experiencing this. Allow me to be for you what you need. He's not okay with Thomas just being like, we'll just include you and you just live in your doubt and you live defeated and scared and fearful. He gives space, Thomas does, for Jesus to prove enough, right? And for each of us, it's a different thing. For each of us, we have a thing we point to, which may not have been even important for someone else, that we can say, I believe that some way, somehow, Jesus is calling my name specifically. 
It was a sermon or a book or an interaction or in a broken season in your life when someone showed up and spoke a word of such grace and peace to you. It's, it's, a, it's a time for you where you said, I'm tasting and seeing that this is real. And he needs you to have a moment like this where it becomes yours and not just someone else's. It wasn't enough for the other disciples to hear from Mary. They had to also hear from Jesus. It wasn't enough from Thomas to just hear from the other disciples. He had to also hear from Jesus. And Jesus is still living and moving and breathing. He is still approaching us. He is still coming after us, coming through the walls that we've carefully constructed to keep him and others out, appearing all of a sudden and being like, are you allowing me in? Right? Thank God for Thomas's questions too. Back earlier in this gospel, and I think it's chapter 14 and you can pull this up. There's another occasion where he just doesn't let things roll. And this is what happens. Jesus is speaking and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. Speaking of rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that that where I am, you also may be. It's a very Yoda day in the text. It's very backwards E, that's okay. And you do not know the way where I'm going. So Thomas said to him, this was him. Thomas is like, everything you just said doesn't make any sense. So Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Super good question. A very real question. And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the father except for through me. If Thomas wouldn't have been willing to ask questions of the doubt that was rising, we would not even have this, which is quoted all the time. I am the way, the truth, and the life came from an interaction with a person saying, I don't get it. So when we present to him the areas that we don't get, the fruit that comes from that is the life of God. That's the places he meets us. Those are the rooms, the rooms that we're hidden in. If we give those to him, I don't know why if I'm a believer, I'm dealing with these feelings right now. I don't know why I wake up and feel shame. I don't know why I feel so alone. I don't know why I can't forgive this person. Those are the very conversations. I don't know why I don't believe that you rose from the dead, Jesus. I don't, something about me doesn't believe it. Those are the conversations that Jesus begins to interact with in each of us that sheds light so that we can say, my God, my Savior, my Lord, my Messiah, right? This is the work of the Spirit drawing us into the life of God, forming us into his image. It happens where we really are, in the rooms we're really hidden in. And so, like a good doctor... Jesus desires to meet his disciples in us where we really are. He approaches us in different ways because he's found different ways to bless us. And he is good at blessing us. He is good at getting our attention by seeing so deeply into our heart. Something about the video for me reminded me of when I was 18, I had this affection and passion for God that was so large, there was, no, there was nothing in the world that could have robbed it from me. Eventually, I set my own path. I thought that ministry was about becoming popular and it took me on a path of my own self-destruction. It was like me serving my other gods and, and me receiving what those gods have to offer, nothing but death. And I'm, I hear him. In this season, finding me in a room wondering, 
is that version of you real? The one that pursued me, the one that awoke me, the one that saved me from addiction, the one that literally put me on a path that I could not have put. Is that version real? Is that the one? This is our Messiah. This is the Jesus that is active right now in your living room, in your heart, moving from beyond the physical to the inner where he wants to do his work, your heart. These rooms could actually just be our hearts and his spirit's movement could actually just be within those depths. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Move in our hearts, God. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Speak the word of who I am as a chosen and beloved daughter and son into the depths of me so I believe it like it's more real than this reality, this COVID-19 reality. Speak the word of truth to the spirit within me so that I come alive like your disciples did, so that I come alive like Thomas did when he reaches out and touches. And where did Thomas come alive? And I'm gonna end with this. Maybe, we'll see. Thomas had to see the pain. Thomas had to put his finger in the epicenter of where the hurting was for Jesus to believe. If you wanna see Jesus in this season, if your faith is troubled, find the epicenters of pain and there Jesus will be for sure. If you wanna have your faith restored, Go where faith is needed most. If you want to see the life of God active, go where people are dying. My wife actually visited, many of you have as well, the home for dying in India. And she came back and talked about how horrifying. Actually, Jordan visited this place as well. People are literally dying and diseased. And they go in and their best case scenario is just being present. Sarah came back, everybody from this mission trip came back, talking about the vibrance they felt for the gospel. People who I knew that previously had been doubting God came back talking about the certainty of seeing Jesus in India. If you wanna see the life of God, if you want faith to be restored, place your finger, place your person, place your prayers in the epicenters of pain in our world right now. They need us. See the life that's coming out of these places. The life of God the life of the spirit, the power of the spirit. I'm gonna spend this last prayer doing my best to pray for you on a Thursday where you are Sunday to personally invite you into what Jesus is trying to do right now. And I just wanna remind you, Jesus is a physician. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is here to restore all things. Jesus is not conviction. Jesus is not an indictment. He is not showing up in your living room saying, I know that you know all these things. All these things are true about you. He's not there for that stuff. He's there for the new stuff. He's there for the new creation stuff. He's there for the born again stuff. He's there for the I actually call you my beloved whom I am pleased in. You bring me joy. Just creating you brought me joy. Jesus is present now. So I would like for you to close your eyes. If it's at all possible, have your children close their eyes. And even in your living room, invite the work of God for some of you back in your life. You knew Jesus. You heard of the resurrection. Something happened. Allow him back in. 
Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are the Son of God. And without the gift of faith, we can't even recognize that. So none of us is going to build a strong enough actual case. All of us need to lean into the gift of faith that you offer us, but you speak personally to each of us where we are. And we happen to all be in rooms today. And we happen to have all rooms constructed from the season that has kept us away from friends and family. And many of us are dealing with things we've wanted hidden for years and years. Some of us even saying, I don't know why I feel shame. Some of us even saying, I don't know why I feel depressed. I haven't in forever. Some of us saying, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm pacing in my living room. All of us being extended this opportunity to receive the resurrected Jesus, the one that is the son of God, the one that came to destroy and conquer death, the one that passed through the grave, the one that didn't come to destroy his enemies, but came to love them, the one that's even working his way into our heart right now, knocking and saying, will you let me in? I have work to do. Will you let me heal? There's life and life everlasting. Will you again place your trust in my name and my presence? Will you invite my presence into your home? And I just sense his heart saying to your whole family from doorpost to doorpost, from driveway to front part, let this be a space and a place where the where God and Jesus are honored, where the presence of God is invited, where the spirit of God is welcome, where the fruit of the spirit is bountiful, where loving thy neighbor is a way that we interact. Let the healing of Christ come into your home and heal the relationship with your spouse and heal the brokenness between you and your children and heal the brokenness between you and your extended family. Let the restoration happen to give you life again. Let the life of God fill you and begin to give you eyes to see this world as he does. Begin to show you the epicenters of pains he's drawing you to so that you can see the life of God and be the life of God. Allow Jesus to continue to form you into the image of Christ today. Inviting the confrontations and consecrations and saying yes to the invitations of the Spirit. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.